0: so excited about this week's episode with Ruben King, who is an amazing ceramicist I got to work with now 10 years ago. Uh, I can't believe it's been that long. But before we get into it, I have a couple of quick announcements. So first, I am starting a featured artist section. Featured artists will have their work shared on our social media and our website, as well as mentioned on the podcast. So this is just a way to support and highlight even more awesome artists. To apply, head over to teachingartistpodcast.com opportunities. I would love to see your work. There, you'll also find links to apply to be a guest on the show and to apply for our open calls through our sister project, Contemporary Art for Young Audiences, which is an online gallery. We are planning to open a call soon, so join our mailing list and keep an eye out. I will be hosting a free class on Be Fun, Be Kind on September 9th, right around the corner. I'm excited to share some really fun printmaking techniques with you. We'll be exploring printmaking using supplies you probably already have at home. I'll walk through six ways of making prints. This will be a fun, hands-on art workshop appropriate for all ages. I invite parents and teachers to join me with or without your kids. I'm excited to share methods that you can replicate with students. And for art teachers, there are so many extensions to these printmaking techniques. So join me for my live event on Be Fun, Be Kind on September 9th. I'll add a link to the show notes. Now, on to this episode with Ruben King. It was so great to reconnect with Ruben. I worked with him 10 years ago when I managed art education programs at the Bronx River Art Center. He was an incredible teaching artist there, teaching workshops in the center and in schools. I loved hearing more of his background and how he's worked his way into his dream of having his own teaching studio. Ruben now owns Brooklyn Clay Industries, where he offers his own classes, manages other teaching artists, offers production services, and creates his own artwork. He shared some of the business side of this venture, which is so helpful to hear. I'm always grateful when artists open up about their struggles and share more details of their successes. Ruben King has been a ceramic artist and art teacher for over 25 years. He was born and raised on the Caribbean island of Dominica, where his art education began at Marigot Arts and Crafts Institute. He studied at the Jamaica School of Art, the Caribbean's only formal arts institution. His fine work and command of the material won him a scholarship to study design at the State Institute of Art in Naples and Florence, Italy. He has also taken several professional development courses at New York University, Lincoln Center, and several museums. Rubin has maintained a personal pottery and ceramic studio at the historic Brooklyn Navy Yard for over a decade and founded Brooklyn Clay Industries there. The mission of Brooklyn Clay Industries is to encourage people of all ages to develop their full creative potential, mostly through pottery, ceramics, and sculpture. They are raising the profile of the ceramic arts, supporting the development of ceramic artists, and bringing the joy of the arts to our most underserved communities. Brooklyn Clay Industries provides a professional work environment that is rewarding, creative, and respectful of ideas and individuals. Through Brooklyn Clay Industries, Ruben is dedicated to providing an affordable, fully equipped and functioning artist, studio, and gallery that can be shared and appreciated by all. Now let's get into our conversation. So I am here talking to Ruben King, who is
1: an amazing ceramicist that I got to work with many years ago. And Ruben, I like to start just kind of getting a little bit of background. So, could you kind of walk us through your story? Like how did you become an artist and then also a teacher? Okay. And which one comes first?
2: Yeah. Well, thanks Rebecca. Thank you for having yeah. me on. Yes. Yeah, it was wonderful working with you many years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I'm originally from the Caribbean and mm-hmm. as a child, I always loved drawing and, and painting and uh, I loved watching, uh, looking at art in magazines mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, we we're a small island in the Caribbean, so we didn't have access to, you know, great museums with wonderful, fine works of art. We did have some awesome local artists that I admired. Yeah. I actually, one of them was actually one of my instructors in high school. And he was very ins- inspiring and actually helped me really, in a sense, determine that or decide rather that uh, I wanted to be an artist ah. although I wasn't quite sure but I had a a, <laughs> seri- a really great pull towards the arts uh, visual arts and also performing arts I actually liked ah. music you know playing music singing and so on and so at uh, the first opportunity I actually got right into it I had a, an opportunity to go to an art program in Dominica at the time and uh, it was actually my community so it was really good for me in that regard. Mm-hmm. And there I learned pottery. And at the time, we, were, we also learned a few other creative art forms as well, crafting. And mm-hmm. from there, I actually continued my studies by going to Jamaica, did some programs. Uh, in Jamaica towards my bachelor's degree and continued in Italy mm-hmm. for the last year of my program. I was lucky enough to study in Florence.
1: Ah, oh, beautiful.
2: Yeah, that was a wonderful experience. I did uh, finish up my degree there and mm-hmm. and from there, from uh, Italy, I actually came here because I wanted to actually be able to practice and, and really exercise and, and learn more, mm-hmm. including practicing the things that I actually learned in my last year in italy in italy Mm -hmm. my my focus was design and production design and so uh knowing i wouldn't have had access so much access but um materials maybe more experienced or other experienced artists with Mm -hmm. with the skills that i learned there that i could actually learn from you know i decided to to come to new york to study, uh, some more. Yeah. You know, to help me translate some of that information that I picked up and really practice. Right. A, a bit more extensively. So that's basically how I, uh, how I got into it. I used to always love to go through, uh, magazines with art published in them. I remember the Reader's Digest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm probably dating myself here, but this <laughs> old magazine called Reader's Digest would very often feature really amazing art and handmade works. And that was always, I'd always be very excited about going through those pages and, you know, imagining that I was one of the artists producing those fine works. And so I, you know, just continued and continued to practice and came here and worked with, since my, my main interest was pottery and ceramics, I found myself a job with a, a ceramic supply store ah. in the city, which was really amazing in terms of the whole experience. I have a little story around that job <laughs> that I, I often like to share because I find it really fascinating. Uh, so I was really interested in, because before I actually came here, I had a plan. So, uh, one of my plans really was to try to work with a, uh, at a ceramic supply store and, uh, in the process actually, you know, get to meet other potters, but most of all have the opportunity to be able to purchase the equipment and tools and materials that I ultimately would have, uh, taken back to me with me to, uh, to Dominica. Because my plan really wasn't to stay <laughs> So it was supposed to be Temporary, of course, some 30 Years later, here I am But uh, So I went to the store, in fact I went through local newspaper At the time, I think it was the village Of Voice, which I don't think is In existence anymore in the city uh. And yeah, and so I decided to, I'm not sure why I chose the Voice, but I grabbed the voice Yeah. And as I was, you know, I decided To check out the Help Wanted se- section And sure enough, there was an ad for I think they we were looking for someone to uh, help with stocking and, and so on, cleaning. And, right. I thought, wow, here's my opportunity. So I, I jumped at it right away, made a call, went down to the to the store for an interview. And by the time I got there, somebody had already gotten the job.
3: Oh, no. So
2: of course, I was very disappointed. And so, but I was still hopeful. So I uh, looked around, stuck around a little while. And then I continued my search for a job because I needed one at the time. Yeah. But I think I found the job at a supermarket at the time, working at night. And one fateful night, I was actually returning home from work, and it was very late. In fact, I think I worked from like, something like 4 to midnight or something like that. And so I was heading home to Queens on the subway one night, and I happened to be sharing the subway car with another young gentleman. And, uh, you know, we were almost sitting across from each other. So we started talking because we were the only two people in the, in the car. It was like, well, after midnight, maybe 12.30. And so we struck up a conversation, and uh, it turned out that he was also an artist. So I, you know, he asked me what I, I did, what type of work I did, and so on. So I went on to explain that I was a ceramic artist and I was a potter, and so on and so on. So he looked at me. And uh, with, you know, with like some excitement in his, in his eyes, <laughs> and he was like, uh, yeah. And and it's because I actually told him that I was looking for for working in my my field, and they went to this mm-hmm. uh, ceramic supply store, and you know, to get a job and so on. I, because I think he asked me what I did, and I told him I was working with the supermarket, but I was actually looking to work with the ceramic supply store, uh, which was I think one of the only ones in town at the time. I think there were a couple of them. It was one in Brooklyn. So he looked at me with some astonishment and he said, well, you would not believe this, but I just quit this this job at Ceramic Supplies, Ah. New York and New Jersey, which was the exact place we had actually gone to apply. Ah. And it was the job that I had applied for. This was the guy who had actually gotten the job. Ah. (laughs) <laughs> that, um, <laughs> that I had gone to, that I had applied for, and here he was telling me. Because for many weeks I, I thought, well, maybe I should, you know. There was a nagging feeling that I should call them up, you know, just to check in, see if anything opened up. Or my plan was also to go down there. There was a notice board. My plan was to actually go, you know, post a little notice to see whether there were any potters looking for some assistance. Because I was right. really itching to get clay and get some work done so he dropped that on me that night and I was just stunned because <sighs> it was just fate you know yeah. it, it just just one of those really amazing manifestations so he was like you better get down there you know first thing tomorrow and try to get that job you know yeah. sure enough I did <laughs> and I got down there and I did get the job ended up sticking around there for about uh, 11 years and wow. I became the manager and I was running the place. And it also afforded me the opportunity to accomplish my goal, which was to buy equipment and supplies and tools and so on. Right. So by the end of my tenure there, I actually moved all of my equipment because I bought most of the uh, the equipment they had in their, their studio on closing because the store actually closed uh, left New York City and moved to New Jersey which they still are where they still are right huh. now. and in the process I actually bought the uh, studio that existed there so there was a, uh, a retail store and in the basement there was a pottery studio where they offered classes in fact I actually taught classes there for many years as well uh, so I was able to buy the equipment all of it pretty much or most of it and I moved it to a uh, moved it all to a location in Williamsburg and proceeded to set up a studio there.
1: Ah, uh, yes. And was that store the first place that you started teaching? Was that kind of how you got into teaching as well?
2: Yes. Well, it's partly actually. I started. To, yes, I, I actually started to teach at that store. But before I actually left Dominica, after I graduated my initial two-year program, I uh, did a little teaching on site. You know, at the same school uh, yeah. for a short period before I actually left to go up to study. So I actually started uh, did a little teaching there first. But yes, once I got to the city and worked with the store, I actually you know became a much more serious pottery teacher. Mm -hmm. at that location. And of course, once I uh, moved, my plan was always to actually set up a similar project on my own. That's one of the reasons I actually bought all of the equipment, uh, which I actually did for for a short period. I set up a, uh, had one of those. They're pretty common now, you know, uh, a ceramic studio, which I was able to share with a few other potters uh, at the time and where I offered classes Mm -hmm. briefly. Uh, Unfortunately, the studio had to shut it down because the landlord was not very, very kind, and he... Did not hold up, uh, hold his end of the bargain, and it was one of the coldest uh, winters we had seen in New York for a very, very long time in the uh, in the early to mid nineties. And so I was forced to leave the location because our heat situation was really horrible. The landlord refused to repair the windows, and it was so cold it was just impossible to do pottery there. You know, with pottery you need you need a warm space in the winter. You know, because clay clay absorbs. Mm A lot of chill And it, and it goes on to it yeah. You know So as you can yeah. imagine You know When we come to work You know After a freezing night Clay would be so cold That we could You know Could hardly do anything with it Ugh. Buckets of water Freezing in the space It was just horrible. It was horrible oh. <laughs> Yeah Exactly. You like so frozen that and <laughs> was uh, quite unfortunate. We had to actually get out of there and move temporarily to a space mm-hmm. right across from the neighbor, Navy Yard that I shared with a friend who was also a ceramic artist and sculptor. Uh-huh. And then shortly after that, we got an opportunity to move to the Brooklyn Navy Yard where we had to Moved. I moved all of my equipment, you know, stuff that I still had that I didn't get rid of and stayed there for until now, actually. We've been there now for uh, at least 25 years already.
1: Wow. Yeah. And you've had some transitions there as well. I know when I got to visit you, it was it was more like your personal studio. You weren't teaching there yet. So
2: until about... Three, four years ago, I used it as my personal studio. So I used it for producing my own Mm -hmm. work. And about four years ago, four or five years ago, there was this big transition in the um, teaching artist environment in the city. A lot of the nonprofits that I worked for, with, at the time, we are losing funding, including our beloved Bronx River Arts Center. Oh. And so there was a lot of cutbacks yeah. and it was really difficult to function oh. as a teaching artist, at least for me. Uh, I always love to try to balance Being able to do my own work and and doing some teaching at the same time to sort of help offset some of my bills. But also, you know, I got always got great satisfaction out of teaching Mm -hmm. in general, whether uh, kids or adults. Yeah. So that sort of of was one of the motivations, motivators. Of course there was a lot of changing changes also happening at the Brooklyn Navy Yard there's a lot of development and upgrading of the yard happening and I thought it was also a great opportunity mm-hmm. to you know take advantage of being there and participating in in some of those those changes and developments
1: Yeah and so now you run Brooklyn Clay Industries
2: Yes indeed
3: Yes.
1: And what kind of classes do you teach there? And do you have other teachers as yes. well working yes. for uh, you? I
2: do have yeah. uh, at least two other instructors right now. And hopefully by uh, we're actually thinking of, or in the process of expanding a little bit. Ooh. It's, uh, it's a little crazy considering all that's happening. <laughs> but <laughs> right. it was oh. always part of the plan and the space became available. Right in the middle of, of the pandemic, so we decided yeah. to uh, to jump on it, and is the advantage to that also is that it helps us. It also helps us to continue with all classes, but to. Allow for more distance between students. Right. Because in the past, you know, in in my smaller space, it sort of really pack them in, you know, the space, the classes were very popular. Right. And so, uh, we would, you know, within reason, you know, try to, we'd have a, a group, a larger group of 10 to 12. For the wheel classes, and sometimes up to mm-hmm. seventeen or eighteen for hand, build, hand building classes. But with the pandemic, we had to mm-hmm. do a lot of spacing. So currently, we can only yeah. do about seven, seven, in you know, wheel classes, and we, we, we've suspended our all, uh, our all hand building classes for now. We sort of uh, we opened mm-hmm. up about two weeks ago again after the shutdown. Yeah. So we've been, you know, experimenting and, and trying. New things in order to try to keep afloat, stay afloat and keep the project going and, uh, studio open and available. Right. Yeah. So we're, we're going to actually do this expansion in the midst of all of this madness and, uh, oh, hopefully, wild. yeah, hopefully it'll help us survive by being able to, you know, have more space in order to be able to accommodate a few more people, which will make it a bit more viable for us to operate.
3: Yeah. Because
2: I'm not sure how long we can continue with teaching only six people, six persons at a time, six or seven. So the larger space will actually help us to operate at a slightly larger capacity. We certainly won't go beyond ten in each class, but at least we'll have a lot more space. We'll be able to spread out a bit more, mm-hmm. and people will feel more comfortable doing that.
0: Yeah. And with Brooklyn Clay Industries, do you work with the schools at all anymore?
2: Very rarely. Yeah. Yeah. I've been uh, I've been really just focused on Brooklyn Clay Industries for now. Mm-hmm. Of course, I, I do have an open invitation to. I hope. <laughs> but I know, <laughs> to uh, Bronx River Art Center, they yeah. love for me to come back and do some teaching. But I've, you know, I've, I've just. Being so focused on keep on getting this project going, that, yeah,
1: it's a lot. Yes,
2: I had to really put my my full attention to it. So I had to take a break from there. I still assist with you know things like repairs and so on at the uh, mm-hmm. at the center, but I haven't been teaching. Right. And I've also pulled back from some of my other programs. I did some museum programs and some community centers and so on over the years. And so a lot of those programs got cut back. Right. And as they got cut back I just you know realized I should just do my own thing which has mm-hmm. always been the plan so those projects cutting back just really motivated me to get my own project mm-hmm.
1: Yeah and then do you still fit in time to keep making your own work?
2: Indeed. Yes I. Yeah. and even at this time in particular yeah, I have been putting a bit more, some more time into that of course I've had more time available to me with the virus slowing everything down yeah so part of the adjustment really is actually producing being able to produce more of my own work right which I can you know I can use for for presenting or for selling mm-hmm. I help to support the studio and so I'm, I'm spending more time producing pottery and uh, hopefully we'll also be able to in fact I have started a couple other little projects experimental projects with all that's happening now this year yeah. I'm certainly inspired to create some works to reflect the time.
1: Ah, and could you would you mind talking more about that and sort of what projects you have going and yeah well i was
2: thinking of for for some time now i've been thinking about doing a series of pieces with with images on them that reflect Mm -hmm. you know some of the uh especially the protests right now and the brutality of of Mm -hmm. black bodies and so on yeah so i've been planning a project for a while now to reflect some of that in my work yeah and so and giving it more thought and doing some sketching and so on and i'm actually going to start doing some actual building mm-hmm. in the coming weeks around that so i'll do a series of parts mm-hmm. that will have some functionality as well but yeah. they'll be you know they'll be reflecting some of the struggle that's been happening yeah and i intend also to do a series that will reflect uh, what's happening with the pandemic and how we're we're dealing with it mm-hmm. yeah so you know they're Pretty much along those veins. I'll also do, I actually plan to do some some sculpture as well. Mm-hmm. and I've been planning to do an installation Ooh. that I'm still kind of sorting out in my mind. Yeah. You know? So that should be interesting. I have a, a good idea as to what it's going to be, but I'm not at liberty to share just yet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully people come through and check our website and see, you know, catch up with it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to keep checking back to see.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. That's coming.
1: So, nice. Yeah, it was. I was going to ask you, and then you mentioned that there would be functionality because I know a lot of your work is like there's this focus on this is a functional object that you can use, and it's also a beautiful work of art. Right. So I yes. like that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's one of the things that I've always been. Uh, really adamant about in terms mm-hmm. in terms of my work. I, I love the function of art. I love mm-hmm. my art to have some sort of function as well as, as beauty, of course. Yeah. Of course, not everything is functional that I create. I do sculptures that are not, not uh, non-functional at all. Right. But, I always sort of try to incorporate some sort of functionality to my uh, to my pieces, whether or not they use that way. Because some people actually buy my work and never really use them in that yeah. in there <laughs> as they <laughs> could be used, which is fine, you know. But mm-hmm. at least the option is there. Mm. You know, it could be used for storage. It could be used to add more beauty or to incorporate as an installation by adding flowers in it and so on. Yeah. You know, I see flowers. You know, like a vase as a as as an installation piece almost. Right. Where you can sort of use it as as a base for creating interesting arrangements and so on.
3: Ah. Yeah.
2: That's basically how I how I think of my work. There are pieces, of course, that you can also uh, use for, for eating or cooking,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and they all have their own function, their own aesthetic in not only the, the surface design, but uh, in the forms as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Form, you know, form and function.
1: Right. right. Yeah. And then does your process usually start with sketching or is it, like, what would what is your process? It depends.
2: Yeah. It depends on, uh, on the project. Mm -hmm. Uh, If it's something more of an installation of an installation uh, nature, then I'll certainly sketch it Mm -hmm. beforehand. For certain individual pieces, I'll, I'll have an idea. I may do a cutout. So typically, mm-hmm. as, as, uh, Sinonica, as potters, instead of drawing an image, you know, we cut it out. Mm-hmm. I use like a, a sheet of paper, fold it in half, and then I basically cut out a shape or I cut a, I, I also maybe trace the image on one side. So like half of the image mm-hmm. is traced. And then cut it out, you know, in the shape that I want and then open it up and I have a full shape. Yeah. So I'll, i I usually do my sketching that way when it comes to creating my forms.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That's basically how I sketch by maybe tracing, doing a little tracing or using the scissors, you know, using pure yeah. scissors, or just cutting out the shape that I envisioned. Ah. Yeah. And then I I go right away to the wheel and start working it out.
1: Nice. Yeah. And then when you're thinking of adding the imagery on the clay, would that be with glazes or would you be like carving into or even stenciling? Yeah.
2: Right. So, yeah, so there there are many approaches yeah. I use. I've been using a technique called graffito quite a bit. Oh, yeah. This graffito technique where a layer of a few colors, at least two colors, mm-hmm. uh, usually uh, contrasting colors. Mm-hmm. And then I'll sort of carve through the surface of the color on the top or the layer of glaze on the top. I'll sort of scratch into it and scratch the images out of the uh, usually a lighter color that's over a darker color
3: yeah and
2: and then in the firing process you know it'll sometimes change a bit from from my intended design Mm -hmm. or enhance it you know so in some regards i sort of give some control to the kiln Mm -hmm. i have an intended design sometimes it comes out the design may actually come out just the way i want it uh, sometimes it doesn't right. and when it doesn't i also i'm also fine with it uh. unless it's a specific design that i'm you know i'm really trying to get to that i really need to have become more visible then i'll repeat it i'll do it again right. but whatever right. comes out of the kiln is its creation so yeah you know i try not to be too much of a dictator as far as that is <laughs> concerned
3: <laughs> yeah, I yeah. always
2: tell my students you know when you do pottery you have to be able to give up control mm-hmm. put the pieces in the kiln the heat in the kiln has its say and so it's not always up to to the potter Although many of us actually make it part of our life's work to to gain control of the glazes and to have them do exactly what we want them to do and so on. Mm -hmm. But every so often, the kiln has its way.
1: Yes, (laughs) surprises you.
2: Yes, absolutely. I'm always really excited to see, you know, what I'm going to get. I'm not always completely, if I want full control, then I'll use materials that allow me full control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because we have you know we can use glazes or under glazes and so on that will actually stay exactly where you want them to. right. We can use glazes or design glazes that will stay exactly where we want them to. Mm-hmm. So there are times when I'll do that if it's if I'm going for a particular look on a particular design and you know those results are a lot more predictable. Uh-huh. but I uh, some of my favorites are actually the ones that are not.
1: Yeah, it's almost more exciting, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. yeah a lot more exciting when you you know i come to the kiln like the day <laughs> the day that we open that glaze kiln is always like christmas you know like uh. yeah yeah you know, it's always like a like a special day yeah because the results you know are always are unpredictable so it's like a big surprise
3: yeah yeah
2: i remember while i was at uh, school college we'd always it would always be one of those moments, you know, so nobody would want to miss the opening of the kiln, you know. If you miss the opening, then, you know, you'd be really upset, like, uh, if they got the kiln before you got there, you know, because it was always interesting to see how the pieces, or to be one of the first persons to see the, the pieces come out.
3: Right. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, it reminds me a little bit of printmaking, where there's that, you know, you can have a lot of control, but you can also, there's, like, the magic of the press, and you... Absolutely. Are just kind of waiting for it to come out of there and like, yeah. what happened in that press? Yeah,
2: <laughs> yep, yeah. yeah, the kiln is the same way, you yeah. Know? And of course, there's sometimes some serious disappointments, you know, mm-hmm. that is also <laughs> part of the process, right? You know, and so, uh, it could go from real disappointment to full, amazing excitement and euphoria, <laughs> according yeah. to the results, you know, yeah, because comes out really amazing. I mean, it's just like wow you know yeah yeah you can't stop looking at it and
1: how did you kind of help kids especially through that when you were teaching more in the schools and working with younger students
2: yeah so there's something about pottery, you know, that's mm-hmm. just and, and ceramics, but that are that's so metaphoric, you know. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of metaphors that are always coming out, yeah, based on the nature of clay and the things that we can do with it, and and so on. So I find myself using a lot of metaphors to to sort of explain the process. Right. I think. One of the things I always tell my students is, well, if you have issues with control, (laughs) if you have issues with control and you like to control everything, you should do some pottery Uh. because it'll help you sort of release... And relax around the control issues yeah especially since with pottery you know it's a little more difficult to have full control so i think it's, it's i think it's a really great exercise and a great teacher in itself you know there are just mm-hmm. so many ways you learn from doing while doing pottery you know you're a lot of lessons a lot of lessons that i've learned in the process
3: yeah oh.
1: Thinking more about teaching a little bit, do you have like a favorite age level that you teach? Yeah, well, because I know now you're also teaching yes. adults. As adults, well. yes. Yeah.
2: And I, I've that's that's actually a question I've grappled with uh-huh. uh, myself for, for some time. I think I I really like the young maybe 5 to 10
3: mm-hmm.
2: age group maybe even 11, 12 you know 13 maybe 14 sometimes <laughs> you know i had some experiences you know with that like the middle school age, age group yeah. if they're not interested you know it's really difficult to get them to focus Right. but typically they, they're pretty much they're still very much interested mm-hmm. the same is true with, with older kids high school age you know if they're into it you can get some really amazing work out of it. Mm -hmm. If they're not, then, you know, you're going to have some problems. So uh, one of the reasons I I love the the younger ages, really, is because of their interest. You know, they're still very, you know, they have no hang-ups around art. They don't feel like they don't have... They're not talented. Like adults will say, "Oh, I have no artistic talent whatsoever." Blah
3: blah. blah. Right. Yeah. You
2: know, little kids will never say that. You know, they they come right into it. They can't wait to get into the clay. They can't wait to. Although, actually, to be fair, most age groups, but the younger ones in particular, are very open to art in general and especially pottery. They really love pottery. Love to create yeah. three dimensional forms. And uh, in my experience, most most kids actually do take a liking to potter it pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Unless of course they're at the age where they're trying to make sure their nails don't get scratched and <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: Yeah. It's not so good for fancy fingernails. <laughs>
2: exactly. Exactly. That can be a problem.
1: Yeah. And with the kids, I know that you've you've kind of focus on like the technical, the craft. Do you also share artists with them or talk them through ideas and concepts in their work yeah. and
2: yeah absolutely
1: and how does that like what does that look like what's your kind of approach
2: yeah, yeah. i think that's really important especially if you mm-hmm. you know you're working with them for uh, an extended period of time right i think it's really important
1: gets harder in like a one day <laughs> right <laughs> workshop.
2: yeah you know one day you can you can still actually do it especially if, if mm-hmm. the project is is based on the style, the design style or so of, of a particular artist. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you can actually still do it. Uh, typically what I do, I do some planning. I mean, for the most part, we always plan ahead. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm uh, with a group for an extended period of time, I'll typically start off with like a PowerPoint presentation featuring uh, the particular artist that we may use as our inspiration. And so we'll talk about, I'll show you the work of the artist and then show of course an image of the artist and we'll have some discussions around whatever the subject matter is that we're we're about to use to help inform or inspire the project that we're working on Mm -hmm. and in some cases we'll even create the atmospheric condition the ambience there's some artists who love to create using music including myself and Mm -hmm. for an example i used uh, Romeo Beden. he was a great collage artist, black collage artist who worked in Holland for many years. Right. And uh, he loved to create using jazz. So jazz music, we would, in some cases, create with jazz and a little jazz music in the background. Yeah, so we'd sort of, you know, try to learn a little bit about the artist, what he liked to do, you know, when he created or she, when the, the type of uh, environment they create. Cause I think that's also important. Mm-hmm. The environment that's set. For the process, and then we would. Uh, one of the things I also do, if the kids are old enough, with older kids and adults, is I'll have them do a little research on their own. So I won't give them everything. Mm-hmm. I'll have them go, you know, do a little research on the artist, on their work, and then come back with some information of their own. Right. And by the time that process is complete, then everyone sort of has a good sense for for the artist and for the type of work they created and, and the ideas they try to. To put forward and we'd sort of mm-hmm. use them as inspiration really and not necessarily reproduce the work that they created but you know we'd use them as inspiration right? because in my teaching I didn't always do clay there are times i do other mediums as well we do some collage and mm-hmm. some printing and, and so on so right. according to the project you know we'd sort of do a little research a little exploration and then we'd really get into it we'd do some drawing and then we'd actually get into the project Project, you know, using our. By then, we, we would sort of evolve, develop our own ideas, and proceed from there.
1: Yeah, and what are some? I know you mentioned Romare Bearden. Are there any other kind of favorite artists that you have that you share with students?
2: There is uh, Picasso, for instance, who was a very good style artist. Didn't also only draw and paint, but he also did some some ceramics. Mm-hmm. And very often, a lot of people don't know. That um, Pablo Picasso actually did uh, did some pottery, and so when uh, that information is brought forth, people are usually surprised. It's usually new information for them, and so uh, here's an example of uh, one artist who another artist would be um, uh, another black artist who would sometimes feature be like dred scott mm-hmm. if you're familiar, familiar with his work he does a lot of uh, protest art yeah and installations and so on i kind of like that and who else we've used a lot of artists over the years If we're talking about the uh, artists of color faith uh, is another artist we feature from time to time
3: mm-hmm.
2: and a few others Those are just a few that I can think of off the top of my head right now. Yeah. Uh, There's this artist who was very colorful. She died a few years, was it last year, a couple of years ago? Her name was Camille, Camille Billups. She's very interesting. I Mm -hmm. met her when she, I worked with uh, Ceramic Supplies of New York and New Jersey, and Mm -hmm. she would very often come in to buy supplies, you know, she loved sculpture, and she did some pottery and so on, but she was also, you know, um, she was a visual artist, but she was also a, uh, she did printmaking, she also did some acting, some some filmmaking, And she, I think she was an author as well. So she was this really interesting character artist in the city. She was really very colorful. You could always recognize her uh, on the street. Uh, She used uh, like a lot of beads and feathers, you know. Oh, cool. Yeah, with a lot of bright colors and stuff. So she was another interesting artist that we'd explore from time to time.
1: Nice. Yeah, and it's always interesting how the students respond to different artists and kind of which ones excite them
2: and yeah yeah absolutely and i think um, one of the reasons i like camille was you know she had that really uh, she was very conscious very serious at times artist And uh, I always wanted to actually bring her in, but never really got the opportunity to. But I would, you know, I would Mm -hmm. show pictures of her and, you know, and stuff. And the kids would always think she was interesting in that way.
1: Yeah. And even just seeing the pictures of an artist and especially, like you said, artists of color, black artists, when you're working with kids of color and yeah. you know black mm-hmm. kids they need to Absolutely. see yeah.
0: people who look like them I agree.
2: I yeah i totally agree and that's one of the reasons I mean, we've, we featured uh different artists including some of the more well-known
3: mm-hmm.
2: artists uh, many of them uh, not alive which the kids mm-hmm. would probably have a, you know probably have heard of
3: right.
2: so we would feature some of those but we'd also try to always keep some artists of color in the picture to really help inspire them and help them understand that they could, they too could, could become an amazing artist if they wanted to.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah, and then you also become like the teacher becomes an inspiration for them as well.
2: Yeah, I guess yeah, absolutely. Seeing
1: the work you yeah, do, yeah, yeah
2: absolutely, <laughs> and yeah, that was always. I think that that was always important to kind of show, show also show my work, mm-hmm. right? So I would also give them. Sense for uh, of what I did and, and so on, and uh, it was part of, always part of my introduction to them you know, to kind of have them get to know me a bit. You know, it always made life a lot easier <laughs> in the classroom <laughs> when they right. get to they know you a little bit. You know, I think they can they, they can relate a little better.
1: Yeah, I feel like it also builds it builds a, a little bit of a relationship, some Absolutely. trust, but also. Yeah. They start to respect you when they see, oh, you know, this guy actually makes some mm-hmm. cool things. Like, he's not just right. telling us yes, this stuff. Absolutely.
2: And Yeah. 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 So that's in the always do that i'd not only bring in photographs but i'd always bring you know a a couple of pieces and i could show them a couple of my own pieces Mm -hmm. so they could get a sense for for my uh that i was real and i was you know i was actually a potter and i wasn't just saying that (laughs) you know kids can be very skeptical
0: yeah you kind of have
2: to and prove yourself to them, you know, to really get their respect. Right, and so uh, yeah, that's that was always part of the uh, of my routine, getting to know. Nice. them. yeah,
1: yeah. And I'm thinking again about like the work that you said is kind of incubating for you right now. Thinking about work dealing with the protests and dealing with the pandemic, and um, curious if you've done like sort of more i mean i i kind of hesitate to even call that political work because i don't think it should be like a political thing but yeah. work that is you know talking about current issues and like whether you would show that to students or yeah talk with them about
2: that i have in the past with certain age groups mm-hmm. yeah so it, it depends on the age group yeah. so Usually, the older kids, from middle school up to uh, to high school level, and of course adults, we we would do social justice issues. Um, mm-hmm. As you know, um, part of the the program we did at uh, the Bronx River Center very often
3: yeah.
2: was built around environmental issues, and so you know we would sometimes bring in maybe an urban planner and an environmentalist and do collaborations and do projects that actually included not just, you know, building a project with clay, but really understanding fully all of those different aspects, whether it's an urban issue around a community's layout, the way of... uh, out of a a community and how it affects the environment Mm
1: -hmm. yeah like more environmental justice
2: right environmental justice issues and and so on so um, we did a lot of those types of projects in the past i remember doing some some really cool projects with uh, Mm a museum of, of art and design Mm-hmm. We did some really cool outreach projects to some of the local schools with, with some of the local schools. In fact, we were we we're doing this particular project with some, some really, you know, with what they considered the, the toughest kids.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, these are kids that were in uh, some alter, uh, alternative school environments. They were often suspended from school because of behavioral issues. And we came up with a, a curriculum and a plan to work with them. So we did some projects like those around social justice and mental justice and even just societal issues, you know, issues that we, we actually would formulate plans to help them address some of, some of the issues that they themselves were confronting, Mm -hmm. like homelessness, because a lot of these kids were, you know, dealing with homeless issues or (sighs) just issues around home and family, you know, that they were kids that were not always very settled Mm -hmm. in their, their home environment. And so that translated into their schoolwork.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Very often once they, they had the exposure to, to art, and the ability to actually create art—actually, we saw, you know, some huge changes, you know, in their behavior at least around us. So it's we've used that in in many ways, you know, not only as a create, you know, as a form of of uh, creativity, but also as therapy. You know, art can be used as therapy as well. So very often, I know that that's also part of the mix. You know, that's what's happening. Even if we're inspiring to create at the same time we're we helping some of these kids actually lighten some of their their mental and psychological issues
1: yeah uh absolutely and giving them like a platform to express process yeah. and yeah and express mm-hmm.
3: absolutely yeah, yeah.
0: uh
1: yeah. And I love that being able to give them a way to talk about issues that they're dealing with that are
3: right.
1: really tough things, mm-hmm. like really hard, hard things to, for Absolutely. any kid to deal with. And yeah. they're still kids Absolutely. when they're Absolutely. 17. Absolutely. Or, yeah. yeah. Uh,
2: I think that was oh. actually one of, that, pro- that program was indeed one of my most rewarding programs in a sense, programs that I taught mm-hmm. because I think that group, I've never seen a group of kids that needed art more. I mean, it was, you know, really Mm -hmm. great therapy for them. Be able to come in there and and just dive into a project, into the, you know, creating these projects. We, We did some dioramas and... I remember one year that was just so engrossing, you know, the kids just got so into it, mm-hmm. you know, of course, oh. you know, once you, once you get deep in your, your project, you know, it's really hard to think about anything else, you know, at least for that period. So they were able to, you know, just forget, uh. at least for a moment and express and process, you know, and it would sort of help them through, we'd talk yeah. about some of the issues that they were dealing with, you know, we'd sort of allow them. To, uh, cause one of the things I always do at the end of a project is to, you know, have the kids talk about it, kind of mm-hmm. express it and do their own sort of critique in a sense. Yeah. Have them talk about each other's work, but also most of all talk about their work and what they really felt or
3: mm-hmm.
2: what they were actually thinking about, but they, what inspired the colors or the, the shapes. Or the positions that they, we for, I try to always get into it with them in that way. It's a really great opportunity for them to, to get some stuff out that they wouldn't probably otherwise be able to, to get out. So it's I always thought of it as, as therapy.
1: Ah, it's amazing. Did you, did you ever feel like in those critiques that sometimes did any of them struggle to put words to what they were expressing?
2: Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was all this. There's always that that struggle, and
1: yeah, <laughs> I still have that exactly, struggle.
2: <laughs> exactly. We ought to, you know, oh,
1: and we—that's why we're visual
2: people. Yeah, exactly. Right. So yeah, yeah God knows where you know we'd be if I didn't have that expression you know, mm-hmm. that, you know expression. <laughs> so yeah you know they they uh, sometimes we have to help them along mm-hmm. and uh, and that's one of the great things about those critiques you know it's doing it as a group and always mm-hmm. you know making sure that it's not a judgmental exercise right. but rather just uh, an opportunity to to share
3: yeah
1: yeah and that almost that like helps build a community With the kids, you know, within themselves, that hopefully then lasts beyond that class.
2: Absolutely, yep, yeah, no doubt.
1: I did want to ask you maybe more about your own work, and especially I feel like a lot of other artists and maybe listeners will be curious about sort of the business side of things and how you sell your work and sort of how you've you found opportunities over the years.
2: Good question, because it's something I think we, we never really get. In, Mm -hmm. in art school. Right. I'm a big advocate for, for a a course in, in selling and advertising (laughs) and, and promotion and promoting, you know, and it's interesting how when we go through art school, very often we sort of come out with a, I know I did kind of had this, this purist mindset of not wanting to reproduce or mass produce and sort of just have everything originally, you know, made
3: right. and, and uh. so
2: on, which is which is fine, but not always very practical, right? So the artist who creates this beautiful painting could sell that painting for a certain sum, right? Mm-hmm. And if he just sold that the painting for that sum and only sold all his original paintings only then you'd probably have a hard time making a living. So the idea of being able to reproduce that original painting in some way you know, by having them probably printed, even if it's mm. a you know, limited edition, you know that actually helps him to be able to sell. Maybe even hold on to the original for a bit longer, so he could get a better price for it. Right. So he doesn't have to like sell it off right away to make you know to be able to pay his bills and probably not <laughs> right. get what, you know what he thinks it's worth. But uh, with the ability to reproduce that original work. Even in a limited edition, sort of allows him to be able to sell that painting many times over. Mm -hmm. So that is, that's really, I think, a very important lesson for for artists to know. You know, the ability to, what do you sort of create as an original work and probably not reproduce as many, maybe in a limited form. And that goes particularly with pottery and ceramics.
1: And for ceramics, maybe this is... Just that I'm not a potter. <laughs> that mm-hmm. Would would that mean that you're you're kind of spending the time to design, like almost that the design is the original, and then you're making several of that? Like, how would reproduction work for? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. So it, it would be well. It comes down to basically the the pieces that are made by hand, mm-hmm. as opposed to the pieces that are made maybe in a mold. Uh, right? So yeah. We can. We can. That's where the reproduction right. happens usually. Okay. Or or if the potter decides to sit down and make, you know, a thousand of the same thing, <laughs> you know, that's by hand, you know, that's also being reproduced, which kind of, you know, maybe may reduce some of the, you know, the original, you know, sort of like the limited edition value. Or you could, you could do, you could have like handmade pieces, mm-hmm. pieces that are made purely by hand and that same design could be reproduced in a mold. And probably sold for less.
3: Uh, you know? Yeah.
2: Because if it's if you can reproduce it in you know at a larger scale, the reproduction process is actually a bit a, a bit faster and it will take less time. And so the potter can actually sell in mass that way. And then you know there can be original works made by hand that he could probably fetch a little more for because of that handmade quality. Yeah. Yeah. And of course now it's so much easier to market works we, we produce. I remember, you know, before the internet, the process would be a bit more daunting because we would be dependent on, on retailers or gallery, uh, gallery owners right. to sell our work at a very big discount, <laughs> you, know, right. <laughs> you know, 50% off, wow. you know, there are some cases where I saw, you know, there's some galleries that were actually taking more than 50%. Wow. Ugh. Yeah. So, but with the internet, you know, we can basically have our uh, own stores, you know, or an yeah, online cool. store, and we can promote ourselves on and, and social media and, and so on. So, this time it's so much easier to sell than in the past. Of course, you have to spend time mm-hmm. doing it, put the time into it, or hire somebody to do it, but at least it's a lot easier you can do it all yourself or you can hire somebody to do it but it's not and you can reach you know the entire world you know you're not limited right. to the united states or you know you can you can actually reach a much further afield i think so of course have to know what you're doing and where to sell, and of course, uh, having your tangible items out there is also good. But I think people are a lot more trusting
3: mm-hmm. in that.
2: You know, there was a time, maybe in the at the very beginning, when people would be like, "Oh man," you know, I, I wish I could hold this piece and feel it before I buy it, you know, that sort of thing. But not anymore. People buy mm-hmm. stuff straight up, and uh, of course, if they don't like it. But that's very rarely happens, you know, someone purchases something online. They usually keep it. Yeah. So that aspect of the selling and marketing is certainly a lot more, a lot easier.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Are there any online platforms that you found really helpful? Like, do you do you use anything like, you know, Saatchi or I don't know what all the other ones are?
2: You know, (laughs) frankly, I have not. Done a lot of all of my own marketing work mm-hmm. in terms of. I mean, we've done some social media stuff, which has worked, yeah, to some degree. We've sold some pieces online. Uh, to be honest, in the last maybe two or so years, I haven't really been very, very focused on on sales. As I am now, I mean, right now I'm like totally focused on sales. Yeah. But during the, you know, the d- development of the class programs I mm-hmm. run at the studio, I basically just put much of that on hold mm-hmm. and uh, just really try to focus on, on getting the word out and the, the classes that we offer and, and the, you know, the other services that we offer at the studio. And you know, it's been good. It's been worth it. In that regard, you know, because we, up till the pandemic, we did, we were doing very well. We had a lot of interest. People were, it was like a, at least a month or two of wait time to be able to actually do a class with us. It was, it was that busy. Wow. And so, yeah, so it was a little difficult to focus on, on sales, on actual sales of, you know, my pottery and stuff. Although I kind of always, you know, just kind of kept it going quietly but it wasn't like a huge focus you know in the last couple couple of years but we're sort of i'm turning the attention more to you know a lot to that right now and so we're kind of going to step up stepping up production you know started to produce some more pieces and now we're going to put on our online store our website nice and we'll, we'll most likely actually open up a couple others we're looking at etsy and shopify and you know
1: yeah trying to decide which which ones to go with
2: yeah 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 they both especially etsy doing a lot of uh, advertising these Mm -hmm. days and so on so we have to uh, have to kind of make that decision pretty soon as to which one which of them we want to go with
1: yeah it's like so much managing all of that and trying to figure out what will work best and
2: yeah well yeah. yeah And that's one okay. of the reasons why I just kind of took a break from teaching mm-hmm. anywhere else so I could uh, yeah, I could actually focus right. a bit more on, on the project to make the studio a bit more self-sufficient and uh, unsuccessful. Yeah. So we're just plowing away at it. It's, yeah. it's exciting every day to go to work. It's a little concerning right now with what's happening, you know, and mm-hmm. we're not really making any any money in terms of paying our bills and stuff, you know. So we're definitely struggling in that regard.
3: Have there been any
1: any of the grants or anything? Have have you been able to get any of that? We
2: have applied. We have applied. We did get a little um a little bit of the PPE, but it was really yeah. tiny. I'm not sure why we I mean, had such a, little, <laughs> just a really small slide yeah. that could barely take us take us through a month. Oh. This is just kind of strange. I'm like, are you <laughs>
3: kidding me? <laughs> yeah.
2: But we're grateful. We're definitely grateful. Yeah. We're not not ungrateful at all because it, every little bit helps. You know, right? So you know, we we're able to uh, to pay for a couple of our assistants and. Not me personally, I'm being able uh, to really take any payment, right. but, uh, but it's all right, that's fine, you know, things, I'm hopeful that things will bounce back as people become more confident to go out, mm-hmm. and that's why one of the reasons why I'm focused right now on, on having enough space so that we can accommodate, because people are certainly still interested, they, they're, they're coming, we have some small groups coming. Some people will cancel at the last minute because I think everyone is still a little nervous to come out and participate in in activities. But it's all good. For the most part, most people seem willing and they come out and they have a great time. You know, it's uh, we can't stay stuck in the house all the time most important thing is, you know, protecting ourselves. And right. we've developed strict safety protocols that we work with. Everyone has to wear their mask. Everyone has to wash their hands with soap before they actually come into our space, uh, in the bathrooms, outside. Mm-hmm. And we have cleanup protocols as well. You know, we, we space the equipment. After the classes, people, everyone's responsible for cleaning up their tools, the tools that they use, and their wheel give them mm-hmm. all the things all that they need water and, and so on and and then they you know take it all to after they're done they take their their items that the the items they use the tools they use to the uh, to the bathroom and soap them down and, and bring them back to us and then we yeah. sanitize everything over again we use sanitizers and we clean everything up the entire space the wheels and the, right. the stools and anything that people may have touched the counters and stuff because we have to also make it safe for ourselves because we're there almost every day. So.
3: All the time.
2: Yeah. So we, we do a thorough cleaning yeah. after every class. So we, uh, we try to make it safe for everyone because we want people to be able to come in and, and have a great time and relax and not have to worry about picking up stuff. We have places for them to put their stuff. You know, everybody, you know, everything's separate when they come in. And then when everybody leaves, we sanitize everything.
3: <laughs> yeah,
1: so yeah so
2: that's the that's the new normal.
3: Yep.
1: Yeah. this new world yeah. we're in
2: oh we're cool with that. We're just you know doing what we have to do.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, well amazing yeah. that it's that you're able to be back to offering classes there and yeah. hopefully it keeps picking up and
2: yeah and we actually keeps
3: keep sustain you
1: guys oh,
2: yeah. And we're thinking about actually we're in the process of doing or um, we've been exploring but now we're actually going to do it. We're gonna do some um, some virtual classes as well. Oh yeah! One of our instructors is actually moved to the south uh, to her, her family's home there, mm-hmm. and she's she's willing to do some some teaching from there because she'll be there for a, a few months still. Yeah. So she'll you know, she she'll do some instructing from the south where she is now. And yeah. I'll probably do some myself and the uh, nice. other we have another instructor. So we're we're kind of getting into it and we wanna see if I mean it's it's kinda of like being done a lot these days, you know, yeah. in, in so many different ways. So it's becoming pretty normal for people to do things like that. With it's gonna be Difficult. of course, we won't be able to do the wheel, we'll be able to do uh, more hand building right. projects.
1: And then, will you send out like clay kits or just yes. a list yeah. of supplies? Or, yes, yeah. so yeah. we'll send out a kit nice,
2: yeah. we don't just make it a lot easier. Yeah, so we'll send out a kit of uh with some clay and, t- and some some basic tools and suggest mm-hmm. other things that they can use at home to substitute. Yeah, and then we'll give them the option to. To bring their their finished pieces uh, to the studio, uh, so we can fire them up. Yeah, Yeah. so people who are local will have that option to come and drop their pieces off. Of course, they can't be shipped, although it it can be can be shipped, especially if it's shipped while uh, the pieces are still a little moist. If anything happens, we can. Probably patch them back together and you know, join them up again. Yeah. So we're we're exploring all of those possibilities and just trying to be flexible and adjust to the times. Right. You know, because it's just when things change, you have to adjust and change as well, yeah. so you don't perish. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> you to, you go go with the flow. Uh, yeah, you're being like water now.
1: Yes, you're flowing. Uh. You're flowing. Oh, well, starting to wrap up okay. some get to know you questions. Is there anything you're kind of curious about that you've been thinking about lately?
2: Hmm. Yeah, uh, I've been very curious about not being in the city anymore, uh, <laughs> you know, like, being, like being out in the mountains somewhere. Yeah, I guess it's it's, it's understandable, right? With all that's all the yeah the pandemic and all that. You know, I love nature
3: mm-hmm.
2: and. Uh, you know serious affinity for being in nature and around nature i've been have a, having a, a big urge to just like flee the city <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, go to some mountain retreat uh-huh. somewhere and stay there and do pottery yes but that's quite realistic right now right but yeah that's why i've been thinking about that a lot
3: yeah
2: at the same time when i pop back into reality i'm also really excited to be continuing to embark on this project yeah the, the studio project and doing these classes and producing these pieces that i have in the back of my mind mm-hmm. to produce and so, on, so
1: yeah maybe you just need like a a week retreat or something
2: yeah maybe maybe that's exactly what i need. do
1: a residency yeah
2: i, I just yeah i need to get to the mountain that's exactly what yeah.
1: yeah, Yeah. or get your online classes going and go away and teach a class from the mountains.
2: Exactly, from the mountains. Yes. Exactly. That's that's yeah. part of the plan, actually. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's so plan. nice. You can do it remotely. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's funny right. because it's, it's something I've always thought about, mm-hmm. you know. I've always thought about for a while now how I could create my life so that I mm-hmm. can do just that you know teach a class from the beach you know or mm. from the mountains you know yes. and it seems like it's you know it's becoming more and more possible mm-hmm. I was sometimes a little envious of my friends who were able to do that you know like work remotely from anywhere with pottery it just almost always seemed impossible I was like geez I wish I could do that you know yeah. but now it just seemed like it's so possible right it's just, it's just amazing you just have to live long enough and,
1: you know, <laughs> it all changes it, just,
2: it all changes <laughs> changes and things that you thought were impossible actually becomes possible so yeah yeah. Uh, life life. yeah yeah
1: another just kind of fun question what's your go-to order at your favorite restaurant
2: Hmm. my go-to order wow uh one of the things i love at I go to this, I love this, this restaurant in the city Mm -hmm. that serves a variety of vegan vegetarian meals. Mm -hmm. And they have this really amazing Mexican fiesta platter that for many (laughs) years I loved. I would, you know, I wouldn't take it every single time, but like almost every other time. It was, it's kind of like comfort food for me.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah. Or in the summertime, I love their Middle Eastern platter. You know, mm-hmm. they do these platters with variety of, of foods and so on. Yeah. So those are uh, two of my favorites in that, that particular restaurant. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, being from the Caribbean, uh, it's nothing like, finding a good caribbean restaurant that features all the comfort foods that i grew up with yeah and so it depends very much on on where i am and the restaurant my mood and all that but yeah those are some of my favorites a good uh, vegan mexican meal or a good middle eastern platter which are usually always vegan as well and of course my caribbean food
1: (laughs) yum Uh, i toast you Making me hungry now too. <laughs> <I
2: know.
1: laughs> um, is there anything else that you would want to share?
3: Well,
2: for young artists who would like to become teaching artists, mm-hmm. I think it's a great way to maintain your hands in in art because it can be challenging when you you know when you come out of art school, get out of art school, you graduate. Some people are lucky enough lucky enough to start teaching, but very often a lot of artists have to usually do a little teaching. I'll probably take a side gig Mm -hmm. in order to be able to pay the bills. So being a teaching artist is a really great way to actually help to maintain your uh, yourself for mm-hmm. yourself, and also to be able to uh, create your own art as well. Yeah, if, you, if you're not a, fortunate to have a uh, your own studio, it also allows uh, an opportunity for that because very often some of the places or most of the places where you can teach, you know, if you if you negotiate well, you may be able to actually use that space as well to create. Mm-hmm. And I, I always suggest making that part of your negotiation if, if you don't have a studio of your own. To work, sometimes ah. maybe just volunteering and doing things that to assist in your, in that space will usually afford you the ability to have some workspace as well, and just try and <laughs> it's difficult sometimes. It's very difficult to. Sometimes even with with the best intentions to because I remember experiencing that myself to some degree. Sometimes I would my goal for for teaching was was partly for to maintain you know maintain my practice, maintain myself, but also I always found it very inspiring. I always got inspired by kids or whoever I was teach. I'm teaching, yeah. you know. It sort of helps me reinforce my own my techniques, and in the process of observing my students. Sometimes would, I'd get insp- inspiration to actually do certain things, mm-hmm. you know, may just be, you know, something simple that they create in their process. Maybe a particular design technique Texture, pattern, mm-hmm. just in, in discussion, sometimes, you know, ideas pour through that inspire my own work. Yeah. And I think that's one, actually one of the biggest benefits from teaching is being inspired by your students.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm very often inspired by my students Ugh. in the process. I've actually, I think teaching has actually helped me improve and enhance my techniques. Mm-hmm. And because sometimes In your practice, you never really think about, uh, some, some techniques until you have to teach it to somebody else.
3: Right. Yeah. And
2: and in the process of, of teaching it to someone else, you realize, geez, you know, (laughs) I, I, you know, I could have done this so much easier by doing it this way because the way I'm doing it, you know, it's a little difficult to teach it or transfer it to somewhere else, someone else. But in the process of thinking through it, uh, and thinking of, how i can actually help someone you know utilize this technique i may have to change certain things about it and in the process of changing it actually helps myself you know i developed for instance throwing techniques on the wheel Mm -hmm. that came about through my my teaching process Uh, having to teach especially younger kids how to work on the wheel you know you have to come up with like really Very easy, uh, basic hand positions Mm -hmm. to help them accomplish the same goal. And ultimately, those, those techniques, I end up actually using them myself. They become, they actually become a part of my, of my practice. Uh. Yeah. From the realization, you know, realization of transferring it or uh, translating to whatever age group that I have to uh, translate it to. In the process, I actually learn that I can actually do it a lot easier or better by doing it the way I teach it. So I'll just very often stick to it, you know, just keep it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Ah. So that, that happens quite a lot. You can be inspired by your students. Mm-hmm. Of course, your students are going to be inspired by you, but you learn a lot. You learn. It's really amazing how much you learn from your students in the process. Especially after they've, you know, begin, they're beginning, they've developed some skills of their own. Yeah, the inspiration goes both ways.
1: Yes, uh, and I love too that idea that you're, you know, developing your techniques and sort of refining them to yeah. to make them simpler for students. But then it's also like you're refining it for yourself as well.
2: Exactly. Uh. Exactly. That's yep. great. Yeah.
1: Oh, thank you. I feel like that was all very inspiring.
2: And, well, thank you. Yeah. yeah, inspiring for me too, because uh, I uh, got me thinking a little bit more about some of those ideas. Yeah, my uh, mind has been a hotbed of uh, business and mm-hmm. <laughs> and money lately. Yeah, yeah. well. So it it kind
1: of has you know, to be sometimes.
2: I know, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you know, I try not to spend too much time there. Mm-hmm. So it's great, but of course, I have to, right? Because
3: you right. Know,
2: dealing with business. So uh, this con- this conversation was certainly inspiring in that sense for me as well. Yeah. Got me thinking about art some more.
3: Good.
1: Oh, I love that. <laughs> Is there anyone that you would want to thank or give like a shout out to?
2: Well, my family, of course, for being patient with me.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> uh- <laughs>
2: (laughs) and just all the artists out there who are doing their struggle and doing their best to keep making art and uh, i know from my experience that it can be a bit challenging Mm -hmm. you know sometimes paying the bills if things are not quite falling into place just yet but uh, you just have to be patient Mm -hmm. of course all the people who have supported us at brooklyn clay industries for the last uh, three or so years we've very very grateful i'm certainly grateful for that yeah and just my friends who have been really supportive for helping me get things going when we have a, had a little uh what we call a little mastermind of friends that would uh, yeah. sort of get gather and, and discuss you know and plan so uh yeah my mastermind that's
1: amazing <laughs> that's great yeah, that it, makes a huge difference
2: yeah they know who they are and yeah. I really appreciate their support and their help. And yeah, certainly my family for um, helping out as well. Because we uh, yeah. so often I drag them to the studio and have them, <laughs> you know, assist with cleanup or setup or whatever it is. Oh, <laughs>
3: yes.
1: Yeah. Oh, and final thing, where can listeners connect with you online?
2: Yes, we're at brooklynclayindustries.com. We're also on Instagram. At Brooklyn Clay Industries, where we have a, a Facebook page, also you could either find us at that at Brooklyn Clay Industries or uh, my name, Ruben King, and nice. yeah, I think uh, we we do a lot more with uh, with Instagram and our direct website. That's where. Our focus is really these days. So that's usually where people can connect or they can, of course, give us a call at 301 395 143 That's usually actually a direct or mobile telephone number where you'll always, there'll always be someone on the other,
3: on the other end. So nice.
2: Yeah. So if people want to connect, you know, you can either do it through our website or uh, through Instagram or by calling us.
1: Awesome. And I'll link to that as well. Awesome. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ruben. It was really great talking with you again and getting to hear more of your story.
2: Thank you, Rebecca. It's really nice to connect with you. And thanks mm-hmm. a lot for thinking of me, calling me up to do this. Yes. Yeah. It's it's always a pleasure.
0: I loved hearing how teaching helps Ruben refine his process and how students inspire him. He spoke about working with students who needed art and how moving it was to see them process some of the challenges they were dealing with in life, express their emotions, and find moments of joy. I saw a connection to his current work where he's using images on the clay to process and express what's going on in the world right now. The protests, the brutality against Black people, and the pandemic. I'm excited to see this work that's been incubating. Ruben actually shared a sneak peek, which you can see on our blog. And keep an eye on his site and Instagram for updates. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or TeachingArtistpodcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you.